Today on the show, we're talking about automating your finances. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney. I'm joined with Trevor, and thank you so much for being here with us this week as we talk about automating your finances. So, Trevor, what, let, let's just go over a little bit about what automating your finances is. Well, you know, just the term automating is, is in our society, has been sort of, uh, de- we've predetermined that it's a positive t- thing. Automation is positive. But what we're going to learn in this episode, uh, and, you know, looking at how you've outlined the show, we're going to learn that automation can be your enemy. So before we bring in the idea of automating your finances, let's just talk about the concept of automation in general. Well, automation, I mean, if you look at any history, it was really designed to make our lives better. You know, they were designed to make us, we're, the purpose of automating thing was is so we could dedicate our time and our energy to, to more important things. And we would automate sort of the, the non-value add type of things. And uh, if you think of a manufacturing operation, they automated a lot of the the jobs that that were destroying people's bodies because they were just so demanding. So they created some automation in that. And if you think of, a, of an office type of job, uh, they've automated a lot of the mundane tasks that were just mind-numbing and, and, and didn't require a lot of thought uh, to, to accomplish the task. So even in those examples, you can see how, in, on, on one hand, they have really benefited our quality of life and and and, and really advanced forward. But in the other in the other side of things, they've also taken jobs away from people. So I, it's a good example of how automation is both good and bad. So let's let's move on to talking about what automating your finances means in in general. So. Automating, if I think of how some of my finances are automated, I, a lot of times you would automate your finances so you could, you know, not worry about something or, you know, you could repurpose that, that part of your brain for something more productive. You know, that, that's the going in thought process. And a lot of times it makes sense. You know, for me, I, the things I've automated, I, I, I'm glad I did. And there's some things I've automated that I, I wish I hadn't and I've since unautomated them. It's it's definitely an interesting concept to uh, to automate your finances because I mean we have there's so many podcasts and resources dedicated to talking about finances is something that's so important money again makes this world go round so it, it kind of seems a little bit counterintuitive to automate something that is so core to our existence. Well, if I think of where I work, we automate things where we you know whenever you introduce human intervention into a a, a workplace. There's an opportunity for error, human error, right? So there's an opportunity for human error. So y- you would want to automate things so human error c- couldn't intervene and things wouldn't go wrong. But what what happens, again, at work is sometimes the environment changes, but the automation remains the same. And when the environment changes, a lot of times the automation needs to change as well, but there's such a lag, people don't address the automation until something goes wrong and they say, oh, you know, that automation's not working because environmentally something changed. So again, you see both the upsides and the downsides of the an automation process, again, taken away from maybe the concept of personal finance and just applied to an everyday um, activity. And I think that if you keep environmental issues aligned with automation, meaning every time, the problem is, Sometimes your environment changes slowly, you know, it evolves. When I say environment, I'm talking about, you know, the house you live in or uh, where you work, maybe taking on a new product line and and the automation before that new product line doesn't really fit with this new product line. I, I'm struggling to come up with good examples. So I, I just think it's important to, to just remember to, you know, your, as your environment changes, your automation needs to change. And environment can mean things from your workplace, uh, your job function, uh, the home you live in, the number of people that live there. Maybe you've you've taken on a new roommate, so the environment's changed. Um, you you've bought a new car, and, and that's a new bill. The environment's changed. You know. So it's 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 not talking about the actual ecosystem that you live in. Yeah. No. It's 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 the 
things that are affected by the automation. And that right there, you hit the nail on the head by by bringing up the idea that the environment is plays such a big factor because you're bringing together this this dynamic world that humans live in with something that really is emotionless and and is just programmed to to do something. It doesn't react, and I think that is something that we're we're gonna we're seeing coming to play, and that it's not dynamic. It's static. It's a process. And that's why I really think that this this episode is so important to include because Trevor, when I went into making this outline for this episode, I cannot tell you, I did a quick search on automating your finances and the number of articles supporting how incredible and amazing and innovative automating your finances are was, it, it was, it was astounding. And it just made me think that we need an episode to maybe highlight what's not being said. Yeah, like we said at the beginning, automating is it's not all good. There's there's a lot of negative outcomes to automating your finances, and I, I mean I'm I'm trying to be diplomatic in the beginning here to not give away my position, but I I am somewhat against automating your finances. Let's get into the areas that finances are and can be automated, and I say are and can because. There are a lot of areas in our lives that are automated when it comes to finances that we might not initially assume that that is an automation process. I mean, uh, if anyone else is with um, with with Telus, they specifically call, and I'm sure all the other phone providers are the same way. But I'm on a pay-as-you-go plan, so when I want to top up my account, there's an option to uh, you can do a one-time top-up, or you can do a, a you can do how it says autom- Would you like to make this an automated top-up? So every time your account runs low, it'll automatically top it up for you. So. I mean, it would be nice if there's a disclaimer every time something was automated and, and, and it just, it was like that. But unfortunately, we don't live in that kind of world. You know, that's a, that automatic top up is a, is a danger. You know, that, I, I don't want to get too specific, but that's a very dangerous thing. I, I've had that set on my phone plan and you're spending money and you're completely unaware of it by, by just using your phone. You could be using huge amounts of data oh, and not exactly, even know it. Exactly. So uh, we, we have a couple of different categories that we've decided to include in areas that finances can and are automated. Um, and, and these are areas that you might not initially think of, but that do count as an automation. So hopefully after we run through this list, you might kind of stop and realize that there's a lot of areas in your life that are automated without you even realizing it. So the our first uh, big category is fixed or fixed expenses. And I use the second fixed in air quotes because these are expenses that turn into something that that is fixed but it doesn't necessarily have to be yeah to me a, a a fixed expense is a constant amount you know the amount doesn't change i pay the same amount for say netflix every month that that's a fixed expense it's not fixed in that it's a, a mandatory expense it's it's actually discretionary but it's fixed in that the amount never varies Definitely. I, I like your distinction there between fixed and, and a more critical expense because there, there should be that dis- decipheration. And, and I guess the, you know, the opposite, like, so my, my hydro bill, it fluctuates from month to month. It's, it's not fixed. The amount is unknown. I, I have a general idea of the range it might come in at. But, but it's generally an unknown amount. And I, I really like that distinction that you just made right there in that it, it, I kind of there's the three things. There's fixed expense, there's more of a critical or mandatory expense, and then there's a fluctuating expense. And that fluctuating can be either um, a mandatory or a critical expense. So I like that um, the, how you deciphered that. So something like a hydro expense, that, that should be as automated as possible because you don't want to ever be in a position where you don't have hydro. And nor do you want to be in a position like a lot of people will uh, grant you credit or, or assess your, your, your credit worthiness based on those type of expenses, your, your, your relationship with your utility company. If you're always in arrears, that does not reflect well on your credit rating. So that's an area, it's a good example, this might be early to bring it up, but that's where that one in my world needs to be as automated as possible. Even though it's a fluctuating number, you don't even know how much it's going to be from month to month. At best, you have a range. So uh, before you get any farther on that, I w- we're going to come back to that. But I want to start off by talking about subscriptions. So 
this this one is a it's a good it's an exciting category because there's so much in it but the first the first area of subscription which is something that is just up and coming in the la- in the last few years is uh, digital subscription subscription services yeah so I, I've, I've fallen victim to this so when I became a cord cutter meaning I've discontinued my traditional cable package I started subscribing to digital services like Netflix in Canada we have Rogers Sportsnet, so it's a sports channel. I subscribe to the NFL. I like to watch a bit of sports. I subscribe to the NHL. So all these subscription services, they start to add up. And when I when I get looked at it, at, at, at one point during the year when all the sports were on, you know, you know, baseball, hockey, and football all at the same time, I was exceeding my traditional cable package by... I don't know, maybe $30 a month. And, you know, so here I was a cord cutter trying to save money and all these subscriptions started adding up. And then Netflix on top of that, I also had a subscription to Audible, which is audiobooks, and also Apple Music. So all these subscription services, when I sit back and look at it, I say, do I even have enough hours in a day to consume enough of this content to say I'm getting my money's worth? And the answer was no. You know, I I have all these services I have access to or avail you know available to me, but I couldn't possibly utilize all of them at the same time. And I, I like that you brought that point up because it really reflects a point from Quentin Fortrell from his article: "Your digital s- subscriptions now exceed your cable bill." Um, this is this article is from uh, MarketWatch.com, and he says in there that. Um, quote, consumers don't mind paying as long as they're paying for what they want to get. Everything in the digital age is about customization. And do you think then, because it, you, you almost customize your life to a T, you, had, you, you, were, you were consuming everything that you love, audiobooks, sports, uh, movies, TV shows, like things that you were consuming essentially everything that you love, but it, it kind of can get a little bit out of control, which it sounds like it was your case. Well, what I needed to do was I just kept adding uh, another subscription to my list and I never stood back and reviewed it and, and started taking them off. And it's because they were automated. You know, I didn't have to think about them. Once I subscribed to Netflix, it just kept hitting my credit card. And, you know, I would just look at the statement and say, oh yeah, Netflix, yep, yep, Sportsnet, yep, NHL, yep, you know, NFL, yep, they're, they're all there. But, I, you know, I never, what I needed to do was unsubscribe to to one of those services when I subscribe to a new one. So I needed to put something in place, some sort of strategy to, to make me make that change. So you need to, it needs to be a zero sum game. If I'm adding the NHL, I need to, to subtract some other service. You know, I, I can't possibly watch that much sports, or at least I shouldn't be watching that much sports in, in any given amount of window of time. So I, I, my flaw was I wasn't managing it. But I mean, it, it, it was managing me. But in your defense and all of our listeners' defenses, it's because you've created this perfectly customized world that you were living in, it, it, it's probably hard to really objectively sit back and look at everything that you love to consume and say that, oh, this has got to go because it's like trying to get rid of clothes. You can always justify that, oh, I still wear this and, and then keep it in your closet and never wear it. Do you know what you really need is a, is a, like I use my, an Apple TV. I need a report from that TV that shows the number of hours I spent watching each of those services. You know, that would be a, and maybe it exists, I don't even know about it. But that, that if I got a, with my bill, the number of hours I utilize that service every month, that would open my eyes to maybe I need to make a change. That's a fabulous idea because it's a subjective third party. I mean, stats and facts don't lie so it, it would give you an objective objective view of how much you actually consume that medium because we're in a we're in a world now where we don't own things so way back we used to buy dvds and we'd own the dvd we'd put it on a shelf and it was ours to watch any time we wanted now what we have is we have access to things like netflix we have access to content apple music you don't own the music you just have access to it so when you have access to stuff you're really not sort of accumulating anything, which is good, but you're 
have constant access to something that you're not using is is not adding a whole lot of value to your life. I completely agree, but I mean, it's if if I think having access to something is is important, and and not having access to that, you you could feel deprived, and and because you once did have access to it. So I I think I think it's a fine line of of really really being truthful and honest with yourself and setting some actual actual hard fast rules about how how when you should get rid of something and if you're not consuming it as much as you probably should be. You know, every time I cancel my Audible subscription, so I almost always have an Audible, I'm almost always a subscriber to Audible audiobooks. And every once in a while I'll say, you know, I haven't listened to an audiobook in a while. I think maybe I'll, I'll cancel my subscription for a while, you know, until I build up some, some books I want to listen to. And sure enough, the, the day I cancel it, I'll be listening to a, a podcast and they'll, recommend or talk about a an audiobook that changed their lives and i'm thinking oh man i don't have audible now it's always how it is so it's always it's and then it just it, you know you just say you you discontinue netflix and then the new season of your favorite show came out you know so you as much as you want to be diligent that way chances are it's going to come back to bite you like you said you're just going to as soon as you discontinue the service you're going to be so focused on what you don't have, you know. But, you know, to win a personal finance, and we said this before, you need to be focused. So I mentioned all these sports subscriptions I had. Uh, maybe I need to pick one sport and just focus on that, you know, and, and, and go all in on football or all in on hockey, and that's my sport, and I'm just going to consume that and only that, and I'll, I'll, I'll be a super fan. You know, that, that may be the way to, to win at, at digital subscriptions. And, and let's not forget about the societal pressure to be in the know. I mean, if you go to work and everyone's talking about this one show that's exclusively available on Netflix, which is, is increasingly popular, and you don't have Netflix, you're going to kind of feel left out. And so I, I think you have to have the strength to not succumb to societal pressure to, to be included in things like that, which, which is easier said than done. Again, yeah, it's fo- it's focus, right? It's because I we've talked about this in previous episodes, but back in the day when you cut your cable and that wasn't a popular um, thing to do, you probably felt a little bit left out of the fact that everyone had cable at the time, and you were just at the, at the head of the ahead of the curve. Yeah, I I felt like a bit of a freak at the time because everybody still had cable. It was still a thing. Uh, you know, it was still the most common form of entertainment uh, that, that people I worked with or hung around with used. Another great point, and you brought it up earlier about subscriptions um, in Quentin Fertrell's article, and he said that, and it's true, multiple subscriptions of four ninety nine or nine ninety nine. I feel he says less threatening to your budget than one large bill, and it, it's psycho. It, I think it's a psychological thing, and it's true because it, it when something is low, you're like, oh, that's like what's five dollars, what's ten dollars, and, and I think again that can stack up, like you said, Trevor, to be more than your original cable bill. Well, what I like, I think, so a lot of people my age, they they were you know cable companies would sell you packages of channels a whole bunch that you'd never watch just to get a couple that you would watch. And, uh, you know, I was so alienated by that for so many years that when I had the opportunity to just buy what I wanted, you know, the specific sport or, you know, Netflix or whatever, to to get my specific content that I wanted, it turns out I would do that at any price just just because I can. Oh, exactly, exactly. But... Did it feel a little bit less threatening to yourself when you when you're adding on NFL, if you went out Audible, when you're adding these subscription services on, d- d- does it feel less threatening? Well, it is less threatening because I can cancel those at any time. Whereas cable, it's a it's a big ordeal to to you know downgrade your package, and a lot of times you're locked in with a contract or something. So it, it is. Um, the beauty of it is the flexibility. You know, you can plug and play. The, the only problem is, like this episode, if you've automated it, you, you forget that you have that option. And it almost becomes, we're going to talk about this later, we'll talk about how automation might become a habit, but it really does become an ingrained habit that you just get really used to. So kind of pulling the plug on it might be a little bit uncomfortable. Are, are you just, or why bother? It's only $5. It's only $10 every month. 
Um, so, the, so the next one included within subscriptions is something that is is up and coming in popularity. And and Trevor, you actually just read about them for for this episode. I uh, sent you a link to the article. And for any of our listeners who aren't quite aware of this, they're they're called subscription boxes. And Trevor, do you want to just talk a little bit about uh, about these? Yeah, this is kind of where you would get. I know, I know my my one of my daughters gets these uh, uh, a box of cosmetics uh, sent to her every month. And in it is, it's a surprise box, right? You don't know what's going to be in it. You, you, you give the, the company a general idea of what you might like and, and it shows up and, and it's basically, it's, it's a way to try new products that you would have to, I guess, go to the store to get otherwise. And they have it for different companies. They have food and, and, um, book of the month is probably an example of this from way back when if you belong to the book book of the month club that you would join the club and they would mail you a book every month you don't know what book it's going to be and you know rather than wondering what should i read next well the, the book just shows up every month and that's the book you're going to read uh the an, an article i found by maria like magna it's entitled this is increasingly commonplace habit could be dangerous to your finances it's also from market watch and she discusses how that subscription boxes could in the long run save you money because you're maybe in that box is maybe products that are more expensive but it's included in this monthly fee so so therefore all these products together might be less than you'd pay for them retail but it, it also but the, the problem is 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 if you get an appetite for one of those expensive products and then you want to start buying that on a regular basis the marketing just worked. Oh, I never even thought about that. That's a great point. I, w- I was thinking more along the lines of it, it that pro- that box might include things that you totally maybe aren't interested in. And it kind of takes away from the minimalist aspect of seeking out things that you actually want. It, it just creates unnecessary clutter and, and extra. I mean, they just sound like an excuse to spend money. I mean, if, if you're ordering a box of cosmetics, just just because you want a surprise every month i i think that's just a that's just leaving money on the table i i mean it the idea of it is absolutely genius if you really sit down and think about it this article uh about subscription boxes really a, it's genius it's genius from oh, a marketing yeah, standpoint isn't yes it? Yeah. because yes because it's not a oh, consumer standpoint <laughs> They they equate it to them being like receiving a birthday present every month. Like you don't know what's going to be inside. Like people love surprises, and this is one way to get a surprise every month. I mean, there is a level of excitement and thrill when you're opening this box and not knowing what's going to be inside. Yeah, I I think it's a, a horrible uh, trap to fall into. I I would highly recommend against it for anybody. I, uh, there's an interesting stat from this article by Maria, and it says by 2020, consumers will make about 30% of all their purchases through some type of subscription. I can believe that because everybody wants to sell access. Nobody wants to sell the rights to any, like nobody wants to sell you uh, a, a product. They want to sell you access to a product. And that is becoming more and more commonplace. And, and the only way you can do that is through a subscription. Oh, for sure. And I, I just, I also want to highlight. But- Actually, you know, a good example of that is software. If I think of Microsoft oh, Office. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good example. You know, that's a subscription service. And y- they also give you, like, I think a terabyte of uh, cloud storage. And, of course, if you start putting things on that cloud storage, y- you know, I- if all of a sudden you have to, you know, you don't renew your subscription, you lose your cloud storage and you lose everything on that storage. They almost have, like, they have you, especially if you need that cloud storage. And... Once you, you've created a whole bunch of documents in Word or Excel and you don't renew your subscription, all of a sudden, you know, how useful are those documents you created? So, so I think subscription services is, is where it's going. But you just have to have a system in place to reassess your needs to confirm that your environment hasn't changed and you still need this service. The I it's funny you brought up the Microsoft example because I, that happened to me. I I bought the four year subscription student subscription um, for Microsoft Office, and just last week I was trying to go into Word, 
and it wouldn't let me log into my subscription. And I realized that, oh, it expired. So luckily I also have pages on my Mac, so it's fine. I'm able to use that. And I, there's nothing I needed to access in Word, but it's it's kind of, if I didn't have pages, I would have been sucked into purchasing Word and I still might have to access any of those documents. So it definitely, it really does. And again, back purchasing the subscription to Word was a lot cheaper than actually buying the software. So it really, really does suck you in. Well, I ended up buying, I bought the home version of Microsoft Office. But the marketing, when I was buying it online, the marketing on their website, the, the pop-ups, I kept saying, you know, do you want to consider a subscription service? And I said, no, when you get to the next screen and it pops up again, here's the benefits of the subscription service. And I said, no, next screen, you know, uh, here is some customers, you know, comments about how great the subscription service is. And it just kept going on and on. So they really, really want you to to buy into their subscription. And make you question your decisions. Oh, constantly. I I, I must have asked my wife three times, you think I should get the subscription? <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended up not doing it. I, I bought it and, and I'm glad I did. And to your point there, it really is this genius on the marketing marketing like that's where marketing is moving to because you can just you can just try out netflix you can just try out something that you're obviously gonna like i think the marketers know that but you just try it out it's it's harmless it's just ten dollars just try it but it sucks you in like a vacuum yeah a lot of marketing is that way i know i was looking um I, i was changing my internet provider and they were trying to sell me cable and they said that that i could get a 4k pvr for free for 12 months and i thought well if i start using that thing and i i really like it at the end of 12 months i'm screwed i i have to i'm gonna have to start paying for it it's not like i, I can all of a sudden give it up so i'm quick to not fall victim to those marketing campaigns because it's it's, it's easy to live life without something but as soon as you bring something into your life and and incorporate into your everyday. It's it's hard to remember what it was like without it. Well, we talked about it in a previous episode, lifestyle inflation and how dangerous it can be. So that concept really does bring come right over to the the idea of automating automating your finances and and these subscription boxes. And 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 I just want to add too that these subscription boxes they come in every you listed you rhymed off a bunch there Trevor before but they everything I mean Dollar Shave Club is another really popular one, um, but it, you can get you can get subscription boxes for anything and and niche products and I think people will the price tags range as well um, into the hundreds and then as low as um, a dollar. So I, I really think it's a way to to really suck you into something that you're maybe passionate about if it's golf or, or hockey or some kind of sport as well. I, so it's I think it's a dangerous trap. Well, you know you know what companies want is they want a nice steady stream of income or revenue. You know that's a company's most companies' goal is to have a steady, predictable revenue. And subscriptions give you give a, a company that that predictable, steady stream of revenue. If you're selling something, you know, you do a product launch, you get a bunch of revenue, this great big lumpy revenue at the beginning of your your campaign, and then as the product gets older in the life cycle, it, it starts to die off and your revenue falls off, you got to come up with another product to to generate more revenue. So it's it's sort of a peaks and valleys whereas subscription services give give a company very steady predictable streams of revenue no you're completely right and i love how you pointed out that these really are are benefiting the the corporations that provide these subscription services more than the consumer themselves and a lot of times they will offer you a bit of a deal and what they're getting in exchange for that is that steady predictable revenue stream so they're they're getting something for that so you're getting a deal so if if you think of netflix if you were to rent each one of those movies or tv shows off of itunes it would cost you more than the the 9.99 you're paying for your netflix subscription but netflix knows they're going to get that money every single month so they can give you a bit of a deal on it it's almost it's like really a business's dream to be able to forecast I mean, if, if you have X number of subscriptions, just forecast, I mean, thinking that everyone loves Netflix and no one's going to get rid of it, you can really do some great forecasting about, about how much you're going to make at the end of the year. 
there's a reason that that this is becoming more popular for businesses is because it's it's profitable Oh, for sure let's move now on to to bills so there, there's a lot to talk about in here just because again we like we brought up at the beginning we there's fixed um critical and then variable critical bills as well so you want to automate the your mission critical bills those are the things that need to be automated so if you you have a mortgage payment you've got a car payment you've got utilities you got property taxes all these things need to be automated because if you fall into uh, getting behind on any of those, your credit rating and your relationship with those organizations deteriorates in a hurry. They're, they're not really in the customer service business. You know, they, those places just want their money and they're going to give you a service in exchange. You know, they're, they're not, there's not a lot of marketing going on. And those are the bills that need to be automated. The environment rarely changes for those bills that's pretty constant and i so i just want to clarify that these bills should be automated because because they are they are mission critical they're important i mean if you don't pay your utilities things are going to stop happening at your home so i that that is why you would say it's important to automate those yeah these are your mandatory expenses none of this is discretionary spending this is this is money you have to spend and most of these some of these are, are are fixed amounts, meaning it's the same amount every month, and some of them are f- fluctuating costs. And in, in, at best, you have a range, but you know your heating bill is gonna, you know, it's gonna fluctuate for a lot of reasons. The weather, uh, the the commodity price of that thing, like if you use fuel oil, the you know how is that the price of fuel oil relative to the last time you paid the bill? Has it gone up or down? So they're they're even even if it fluctuate you still need to automate. Even things like rent where you have given your landlord post-dated checks and that still counts as an automation process because while you're not actually doing anything at your end, you're not setting something up on your computer through your bank account or something like that, it's still an automation process that you don't even think about. I, while we're talking about bills, I I want to bring this point up because I saw it so much when I worked at, I used to work at a credit union as a as a member service representative there and while I was working there the amount of people who would come in and and it t- it talked to me about how they had they'd signed up for a, a service and then they no longer wanted it but they were still getting and money withdrawn from their account once a month even though they'd already they already wanted they they'd already opted out of it so I think this is important to highlight because you're giving someone permission to keep taking money out of your account. So I think you have to be careful about who, who you give those permissions to and, and when and why and for how much. Yeah, I, I've been in situations where I, you, you, it's it's almost impossible to to get these people to stop. You know, you a lot of times you sign a contract, right? And and the, even if you don't want the service, you're you're committed to it for a period of time. And a lot of people don't don't read the fine print and don't understand that aspect of it. But sometimes the the number you call to begin the service is the first thing you see on this their website or you know in the newspaper. But to find the phone number to call to cancel the service, you know, sometimes that's real hard to track down. When you call in, there's a thousand people ready to take your call to start your service. But when you're canceling, you know, there's there's only two or three sorry souls who are working the phones for cancellations, and and a lot of times you're on hold forever. So stopping these services i mean we made it sound like it's easy but sometimes it's really hard and for that reason i always use a credit card whenever possible to subscribe to any service or or pay any bill because i can always cancel that credit card you know if i have to you know worst case scenario i can't get these people to stop taking my money i can always cancel that credit card but you you can't very closing your bank account that that that's a very challenging thing to do because there's so many things tied to it. Your paycheck going in and, you know, payments that you want to continue to come out, coming out. So it, getting someone to, to stop taking money out of your bank account is sometimes harder than, than you think. And, and I know this is a very extreme example and, and hopefully people in organizations and companies have a little bit more ethical procedures in place than to to refuse to listen to your request to, to stop a service or stop having money taken in your account. But I, th- I think it's definitely something worth mentioning. We talked about automating these bills, these, these mandatory expenses. Just because they're automated, 
it doesn't mean you don't read the statements when they come in the mail or you get them emailed to you online. You need to look at how much hydro you are using and how much heat you are using. And you, you need to, to review that because these people make mistakes too. And, and maybe, you know, you're, something's gone wrong and you're, you're using electricity on something. I know, for instance, I, I bought a, a dehumidifier and this is back quite a few years ago. And I had a, a very damp basement where a house I lived in. And I turned this thing on and, and let it run for the whole summer. And I couldn't believe the electricity this thing chewed up. And I didn't look at my bill until, you know, it was, I just happened to look at it and it was like November or December. And I had stopped using this thing a way back. And I, I couldn't believe how much hydro I had used over the summer. I didn't even have air conditioning. And I, I was trying to, I, I thought for sure the hydro company made a mistake. But when, when I l- thought back, I think that, that uh, dehumidifier. So if I were looking at the bill every month, I probably would have turned that thing off and saved myself a pile of money. I absolutely love that point because it raises something that is so critical to the automating your finances and that just because it's automated doesn't mean, like you said, it, it doesn't deserve review and constant and constant reevaluation. So I want to move on to talking about credit cards. And, and this is another area. I mean, you could lump it in with bills, but I think it's a little bit different than automating your finances. Yeah, credit cards are an important tool in automating your finances because a lot of times, like, for instance, that's how I pay for Netflix. And that's how I pay for Audible. So those those credit cards are are your friend and your enemy because if you automate things through your credit card, you really need to look at that credit card statement every month and analyze it and, and see those, even though they haven't changed, even though the amount's the same every month, look at it and, and just ask yourself, you know, did I use that service? So that credit card, it, and if you just don't look at that statement and you just pay the look at the bottom and pay, pay whatever the amount at the bottom is, that, that's how you get into trouble with subscriptions. Do you have any examples where the lack of constant monitoring really caught up to you? I don't because my wife is the bookkeeper in the family and she questions every single expense on her statement every month. And sometimes, you know, and I don't get annoyed, but she'll ask the same question. She'll say, do you want to continue with Netflix? And I say, yep. And she'll say, do you want to continue with Audible? And I'll say, yep. But she asked the question, do you want to continue with it? And she actually says it out loud. So I have to, I have to respond out loud. And, and in doing that, I have to stop and think. And it, it's great. And there's been times, I, I had a subscription to tune in radio. I listened to, again, back to sports. I listened to some uh, sports on the radio, Blue Jay games. And the only way you can get them online is through a, a, some sort of streaming service. And she says, uh, do you still want tune in radio? And I say, you know what? I haven't listened to a Blue Jays game in probably a month. So no, let's cancel that. You know, I, no, I said, I'll cancel that one because I'm the one who started it. So I go and log on my computer and cancel it. But she asked the question and that's the key. So I, it's, it's awesome that you have your wife to bounce to bounce these ideas off of and, and to really kind of validate what you're thinking. For our listeners who maybe don't have a spouse or a partner, what advice do you have for them to make sure that they keep themselves in check? You just got to ask your ask yourself the question every single month when you look at that bill. Just say, do I still want this subscription to the whatever, you know, Netflix, hockey, sports, movie channel, I, I don't know, and, and whatever it is, ask the question, you know, Apple Music, just just think of the last time you used it. Just, you know, Netflix, what was the last show I watched? Uh, Apple Music, you know, what was the last song I downloaded? And just ask yourself that. And if, if you don't know, if you can't answer that in, in within a second or two, then you really need to evaluate and say, did I actually use this service? And and the beautiful thing about all these subscription services and, and everything that you pay for is that it is, it's it's so easy to either to get and cancel. And um, like you were talking about cable before, I mean, you have to, it's an arm and a leg to just try to cancel it beca- because there's just so, there's a huge process. But I mean, you get rid of Audible one day and then a week later, you're like, no, you know what? My life was a lot better with it. I, I It adds value to my life. I'm going to add it back. So there's really less of a, a final, less of a final process when you actually get rid of it. it it's less, it's less final. 
because you can just start it up right the, the next day that's the beauty of a lot of these services if you if you cancel and, and then you know two days later you say ah you know what i wish i still had that you, you can start your service back up there's no activation fees there's no uh, added costs it really makes it easy in that case just just to experiment with with adding and subtracting services knowing that it's easy to add them back if you decide that's the right way for you to go you know, I don't want this to turn into too much of an episode on subscription services. It, it, it's almost like there's a whole show worth of uh, topics on that. But it is a big part of, of automated expenses. Definitely. Because like the article from Margaret Watch said, it's it's taking up a 30% um, by 2020 of everything that we purchased. So yeah, to our listeners, if, if it sounds like we're really focusing in on on ways that subscription services and, and more of the enjoyment services come into play it's because they really do take up a big part of our spending the next one is reoccurring expenses so this is our next category and i really like this one because this is something again really new and uh, an article by magnify money and Brittany larie it's called five ways automations can improve your life um it's from a website called khou.com and I really like this one. It's uh, well, I'll get your take on it too, Trevor. It's about automating your grocery shopping with services such as Amazon Fresh or Fresh Direct, where um, it's it, this one's actually this one's actually an annual fee, and you can also have services like HelloFresh or Plated, which delivers actually like ingredients, an ingredient box and a recipe to your front door, so you can make meals weekly. So, so what's what's your take on um these kind of recurring expenses? Uh, for for more reoccurring expenses in the terms of grocery shopping is a weekly reoccurring expense. Yeah, I think what's been automated there is not the financial side of things. You've automated the the act of grocery shopping, so you you've you're actually paying somebody else to. You're probably paying a bit of a premium, but you're you're paying somebody else to get your groceries. So the, I don't think this is as much about automating your finances as it is to automating some aspect of your life. Uh, there there is a. It would be the equivalent of hiring somebody to clean your house. Instead, you're hiring somebody to go get your groceries. True, but there is more of... It reminds me a little bit of the subscription boxes and that you are taking a little bit of the thought out of every decision you make to purchase something and, and that the someone else is making the decision for you and that maybe you're kind of just rolling with no, it. And No, and I, I agree, but you've automated the art of shopping, not the auto, not the automation of paying for it. Is just a fallout of, of the service. It, the automation, I think, is in, in, in the grocery shopping. So you, you don't even think maybe the premium that you pay for it is is anything that's too and really negative? No, I mean, if if you're that pressed for time and you got two working parents and three or four kids at home and groceries are sitting on your front step, I think that's probably a pretty good deal. Definitely. So, yeah, that, I think that... I, I love the idea, and I think it does. It passes the... Uh, areas in which uh, things should be automated and can be automated. I, I do want to pause and say that all the things we talked about, it, it kind of gets a little bit more messy when you multiply it by by multiple people to make up a family. So for the subscriptions and, and for the bills, there's a lot. There might be, if, if you're living by yourself, maybe you won't have as many bills coming in or, or credit card, there's less to juggle if it's, it's just, just you. So I think you have to multiply the the chaos by a couple when there's more people um, you're living with. The next one on the list, and also the the second last on our list of areas that finances. So the second last area where your finances can be automated is uh, creating a budget. So an article from again Magnify Money and Brittany Laria. It, it's called uh, Five Ways Automation Can Improve Your Life. Again, same article. And they talked about how you can really kind of automate your budget. So there's a three-step process here. Uh, one is to open. So the first step is to open up a secondary checking account with your bank that you can use as a reserve account. So you keep money there um, and schedule bills to be paid from that account. And then from there, you figure out how much money you can spend freely each week after your bills are paid. And then the automatic automation process comes in when you set up an automatic weekly transfer um, where it moves money from your reserve account to your actual spending or main account. Well, you know, th this kind of, you can sum this up into uh, having your, you know, a portion of your paycheck put aside into a savings account and you never see it. And, and the beauty of that is, is if you never see the money 
to start with coming in from your paycheck, you're not going to miss it. So if you can save the money before you even see it, it makes it very painless. The Doing it for the first couple of months is painful because you're going to notice that you, you don't have as much money. But once you make the lifestyle adjustment, never seeing that money to begin with makes saving, automated saving, painless. You brought up having your paycheck come in, and I, I think it's a good time to bring up the, uh, the direct deposit. How, how do you feel about that as an automation process? I remember, the I, I, first job I got, it was paid in cash, and that was very rewarding to you know get in line and someone hand you a, a pile of cash at the end of the week. You feel like you got something for your work. And then you would get it, then it evolved into you'd get a paycheck and it would have numbers on it. And you, you still feel like you got something. It's not quite as real. You still need to go to a bank and do something with it. But it, if you still feel like, you know, you accomplished something and then the direct deposit came, but they would still come by and and hand you a, a pay stub, right? And so you feel like you're coming here for a reason still. Well, now they email me the pay stub. So it's like, why am I coming here? You know, you, you, you need a reminder. I'm not that simplistic that I don't understand I'm getting paid, but it was kind of rewarding at the end of the week to, to get something. And now that's gone. So there, there, there's a downside to automating, you know, through direct deposit. Obviously I don't have to get in line at a bank anymore, which is a good thing. But at the same time there, there's some sort of at a very subconscious level, uh, something missing from not getting a, at least a pay stub. I want to go one step worse and say that I got direct deposit at my last job and I had to I'd have to go to a website to log in to look at my pay stub. So it was super removed. Yeah, that that that's even worse. So you don't even get the email. No, I and I would have to go in and check and I'm I actually want to talk about that too right here is the importance of or or maybe the lack of checking your pay stub or or I mean, it, it, it was on my way to go log into this website, see if my pay was correct. But I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sure a bunch of our listeners are the same way, but I am so guilty for not checking my pay stub because it's directly deposited. All is good and fine. And it, it, the automation process really, st- I, I kind of just let it do the work for me. And meanwhile, there could be errors uh, of errors when I'm getting paid that maybe I'll never catch on, catch on to. Well, I, I, I've, been on a salary payroll for more years than I, I care to think about. But if I were being paid by the hour, I would know how much my pay was going to be before I got my check. You know, I'd have a spreadsheet or I'm sure there's an app for your phone and I'd be keeping track, you know, and I'd know to the penny exactly what I'd expect to see on that paycheck because people make mistakes, you know, it happens. So I think you're you're doing yourself a, a world of, of hurt to, to not review your pay stub if you're being paid by the hour. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I, I think, I, I just think that because direct deposit is so popular that a, a getting direct deposit isn't an excuse not to still take an active role in, in making sure that you're getting paid as much as you should be getting paid. Like you put in 40 hours of work to spend, you know, Five or ten minutes looking at your pay stub, it seems pretty insignificant. Oh, I, I completely agree. That brings us to the end of areas that can and are automated in our life. Let's We're going to now jump on to why to automate your finances and why to not automate your finances. And we're going to lead off with why to automate your finances. I can't think of any good reason to automate your finances. It, it It's not complicated. I, I I'm not a fan of of automating finances. I think that there needs to be some sort of human interaction. You know, you need to look at the numbers. You need to know the numbers. Uh, one of the things I've seen out there, and I think Mint, the program Mint does this, and it, it will take your the money that goes to your account and categorize it for you, depending, you know, based on where you, the, you bought or where you spent it. And then it'll give you a nice pretty graph showing you, well, you know, kind of what you spent your money on. But I think you need to go through each expense and say, you know, I, this is groceries, this is, you know, utilities. You, you need to look at each one. There, I'm going to say, this might be the wrong word, but there needs to be some pain involved in spending money. You know, it can't be, it, it just can't be something that happens in the background. You work so hard earning it. 
that you need, there needs to be some pain involved in spending it. We're not going to get into the psychology behind automating finances. And this first point is from Maria Lagmagna and this article that this, this point is from and all the other articles we reference will be in our show notes. So you can go check them out. But this first point from her is that it takes away the emotional side of spending. And um, a great quote is, quote, letting a computer automatically make the right choice for you is probably the best way to guarantee you won't spend your rainy day money on whatever your vice happens to be. You know, that that is, to take the emotion out of personal finance seems so wrong because it's, the personal and personal finance makes it personal. You know, you, you need to be emotionally involved in your finances because if all your money disappeared, you would be on a, an emotional tailspin. And if you were, you know, blessed with a, a, a huge windfall of fortune, your emotions would ride quite high. So money is an emotional thing. And having a computer make decisions for you, again, I said earlier, you, you automate things and let computers make decisions that human interaction would get wrong or would would, you know, present an opportunity for error. And deciding how to spend your money is is not is not an opportunity for error. You know, it's not something you want to become extremely efficient at. So automating how you spend your money should be a very I, I, I want to use the word painful, but there should be some pain involved in spending money. There needs to be transaction friction involved in spending money. It can't be just something that hops in the background and stuff just appears in front of you that that is a recipe for disaster but we are naturally emotional beings we we make irrational decisions based on our emotions isn't it isn't it good that we're able to set aside a certain amount of non-discretionary income that we can spend on things that are driven by our emotions and the rest can be it can be put aside safely where we won't touch it if we are feeling emotional and i mean we as much as we try to keep ourselves in check and in line we're human you know the the last big purchase i made with cash was a long time ago you know where i where i needed i'll say $800 to buy something i think it was a vcr way back in the 80s and i didn't have a credit card at the time and I saved up my money to buy this VCR. I walked in the store with $800, put it on the counter, and got my VCR. There was a lot of transaction friction involved in that transaction. And I cared for that thing probably more than I should have. I cared for it like a pet. And it it was a great VCR, but I mean, I, I cared for it way too much. But because I had seen the cash leave my hands, and I know we're in a world today where everyone uses plastic and you don't see cash, it just, you. I don't think you're going to be irrational when you spend money and there's friction involved. I think you become irrational when you're spending money and they're just numbers and there is no friction. I know that's a great point. It brings you back to the idea that automating your finances eliminates the friction. I think we're talking about automating your decision-making when you're talking about spending. You know, automating... Automating your spending is, in essence, automating your decision-making, meaning, you know, if this happens, buy this, and if this happens, buy that. And that, that may work when you've originally automated, but when the environment changes, meaning you now have kids or you now have a house and you used to have rent, if that, if that same automation is in place but your environment's changed, maybe the, that automated formula doesn't work anymore. So would you say that if you if you track your automation, things that are automated in your life as closely as you would if nothing was automated, so if you give it that much attention and care and and make sure it's, it's, you're adapting your automation processes to your environment, would you say in, in that case only that maybe automation would work? I would only automate, like, like you know, Netflix, they, they only make it so you you can pay for it in an automated fashion. They don't make it so you can really pay for it once a month, right? They, they, they're not set up for that. They, they don't even want, they don't even know how to, I don't even know how you pay for Netflix on just a one-off. 
So a lot of our spending, it's dictated to us that it has to be automated. So a lot of times it's not even going to be an option. The second point, and I I think it supports automating your finances pretty well, but it's from uh, Kristen Wong. And Kristen Wong's article is entitled, Is Automating My Finances a Good Idea? from twocents.lifehacker.com. And she says that, it's a good way to develop financial habits without too much effort. You make a smart decision once and it pays off continually without giving it too much thought. You know, I read this one and I'm I'm struggling to think of an example where, where that would be the case. I, well, can you think well, of one? Well, I think it would apply to as simple as putting some non-discretionary money into one account and discretionary money into another account. That decision once to set aside a certain amount every week to save and and that will keep paying forward because sometimes it's harder to want to put that money aside. So so if it's forced to be put aside, I think that w- that would benefit you. So automated savings. Yes, okay, yeah. It's not I yeah. okay, you're right. It, it, it I guess automated spending is just There's no upside to automated spending no, that I can see. I, that, you raise a really good point right there cuz because my my one example for that was automated saving and automated saving is always a good idea. So, you know, yeah, be, because it, I agree with that point that you might have the discipline to set this up, this automatic savings once, but you, you know, it, you may have used up all your willpower and discipline the next month and, and, and come up with a million excuses why you can't save that money. So I agree from a savings standpoint, it takes a lot of willpower and discipline to stick to a plan. So if you can automate that plan, your chances of success have gone up dramatically. The next point is by Dr. Barry Schwartz, and he says that we are programmed to live in the here and now and think about the future when we get there. So I guess this relates back to the last point about savings. Um, Again, a savings is is an automation process, so why to automate your finances? But it's a good way to automatically make choices for our financial well-being, and that's the point that he argues within within this point. There needs to be a balance between living in the here and now and, and, and being focused on the future. I've been accused of not living enough in the here and now and making all my decisions in around finances about the future and I, I'm missing life today. So I, I, I somewhat agree with that. I don't know that automation is going to help me with that because, you know, again, I, I'm focused on the future in all aspects of my life, you know, and maybe not enough on today. So automating my today's spending i don't think that draws my attention away from the future no that's that's a fabulous point especially if you spin it the other way like you just did and look at it in in, in reverse it, it you're right it doesn't make much more sense it, it's still a behavior problem yeah, if if you're too focused on today and not thinking about the future uh, automating your your spending to to be you know safe for the future you know all your money you're going to be miserable today so you really need to change your focus or have better balance. The next point is time to focus on other things. And this point's by Kristen Wong. And she says, automate your finances in order to focus your time and energy on ways to increase your income. I, w- I would agree with that in that something like, you know, running around trying to get your hydro bill paid or your gas bill paid, you know, that, that kind of, you know, there's zero value add in that. You're going to pay the bill. You've already used the services. So if you can automate that, I think that's a, a, a great strategy. Again, we, you still need to review your statements and make sure you're being billed properly. But yeah, the, there's no value added in, in, in running to physically go pay those bills. I do want to stop and emphasize at this point that it should be on, it, it should, automating your finances should be a focus on, on again, not running around in, in, and wasting time, but I think time to focus on other things. Nothing is more important than your finances, your personal finance. You should always want to be completely invested in your finances. We're talking about being efficient and saving the physical time of going out to pay the bill. Oh yeah, like Trevor, the amount of articles I, I read a ton of articles to prepare for this episode, and I, I kept coming across articles that. I know I, I'm probably skipping to reasons not to automate your finances, but the, the articles I'd read that were all about automating your finances to so you could focus on other things and and give other things priority in your attention. It just 
it doesn't seem, it just doesn't feel right because nothing, like even if you're not interested in personal finance, I, I think you should be and you should be because it, it, it matters. So using the excuse of, oh, I, I'm not into personal finance, I don't think is a good one. We're going to move on to the psychology behind not automi- automating your finances. And the, the first point by Kristen Wong is that you t- start to take on a passive role instead of an active role in your personal finances. Yeah, it, it's by automating, you've removed the human element from the personal finance. And it is personal. And I, I've been guilty of this, you know, and, and, and seen the dark side of, of passive personal finance. And, you know, you, you end up paying for things you, you, you know, a, a good example is, is uh, car insurance. As my cars age, I'm less and less likely to utilize the collision insurance. But because it happens so slowly, you know, once a car hits a certain age, it just doesn't make sense to have collision on it because the, the, you're, you're, they're going to write those cars off anyway. So that's something where I get passive and I forget that my car is 13 years old and I still have, you know, a premium insurance policy on that car, which just, you know, I should have the bare bones policy on a 13 year old car. But that, that's one that sort of, I was passive about, I did, you know, I, I didn't read the policy, you know, yeah, insurance is due, I'll just pay it. So I've been burned by being passive on, on many occasions. The next point is, and one that I don't necessarily agree with, but I, I read in so many different articles is time to focus on other things. And, and I'm thinking what should matter more than your personal finance? Well, I mean, money's not, the, the, you know, life and death would be more important than personal finance, but you spend one third of your life working or close to it, maybe a quarter of your life working. Uh, that, that's, that's a lot of time you spend earning that money. Focusing on how it's spent, I think, is pretty important. And, and, and the articles even said that, oh, but I, I'm not interested in personal finance. And I, I think that's an excuse for, for not taking an active role in, in how it's managed. The next point is that, and we brought this up before, but it's super easy to miss mistakes and overpay on things if, if you never pay attention. And this point's by Kristen Wong. Yeah, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast has been burned by, you know, being charged for some a service they didn't get or didn't want. And it's it's just the environment changed, but the automation hasn't. The next point and 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 this is a good one is that it's it's good to feel quote unquote the sting of paying your bills manually. And it makes you appreciate money more and double think the items you're about to spend money to. And this point again is by Kristen Wong. And this is an this is kind of an automation thing. We've we've talked about transaction friction, and the greatest transaction friction is cash. And, and then you know it, it goes down from there. And one of the 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 least amount of transaction friction I've ever experienced is Amazon one click. And anyone's done that. You just you literally click the button once and you bought it. And Amazon one click is the lowest transaction friction I've experienced, and it. It's like it never happened, and it just shows up at your door. To me, that that is it, transaction friction. It sounds negative, but it is is actually a good thing. That brings us to the end of psychological reasons behind why not to automate your finances. And we were going to keep going with this episode and talk about how to actually automate your finances, but we decided not to. If you can get past the why why you shouldn't automate your finances. If you can get past, if, if you can figure that out, the how is real easy. You know, how to, how to unautomate your finances or, or how to stay away from the automation process as much as possible. So the, we, in our research, found that uh, there's no shortage of hows on Google, but we wanted to emphasize the why. And the why too is often more important than the how to. That being said, we are going to include some links to how to automate your finances in our show notes, along with an article about some apps that you can use to automate your finances as well. So that will be there just for uh, as a resource to check out. Uh, Trevor, as we end this episode, do you have any final uh, th- thoughts or takeaways? Yeah, don't be misled by the word automate as, as it's a positive thing. 
you know, automate is positive. It isn't always a positive thing. And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for being here with us and joining us every week. And if this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for, for checking us out and giving a listen. We will see all of you back here next week with another episode. Until then, keep it simple.